the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome back to our NIL interview series. In this episode, we are introduced to junior running back Dion Smith, a highly rated recruit out of Houston with offers from the likes of Notre Dame, UCLA, Utah, Minnesota, and TCU. It was position coach Darian Hagan and the relationship Smith and Hagan developed, which brought Smith to Boulder. Healthy in consecutive seasons for the first time in years, Smith is ready to showcase his talents for the Buff Nation. Coming off of a 20-yard touchdown run in the CU Spring Showcase, Smith wants Buff fans to know that the running back room is ready to prove the critics wrong. And so, what was it like for Dion to post his first career touchdowns last fall? Just how vanilla was the CU offense in the spring game? And what did Dion, when putting together his own NIL podcast project, learn from the likes of Rick George and Evan Batty about the future of NIL at the University of Colorado? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back and with junior running back, Dion Smith. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you doing today? Not so bad for a, a Monday after practice. We were just uh, talking about this was your first day outside of spring ball, and you had some meetings and you talked with your, your coaches. What, uh, what were the meetings about and uh, what did you find out, what you, what you discussed? Uh, yeah, so usually towards the end of semester, so even in the fall and even in the spring after we have spring practices, we usually have exit meetings with our offensive coordinator, position coach, and even head coach just to check in, talk about some maybe some goals, looking forward, um, evaluate the work that you just did. So if it was the fall, we'll evaluate the season and some of the things you accomplished, some things you probably need to work on and focus on. And in the spring, in this case, you know, we just evaluated the spring practices and just, you know, set some goals and thought about some things uh, moving forward. And so, yeah, so I was just having those exit meetings because it's around the time, you know, we have the month of May off. So we're just finishing our finals and stuff. So, yeah. Okay. And you're a, a fifth year junior, which not too distant past, that was a unicorn to be a fifth-year junior, but now there's a lot of fifth-year juniors running around. Um, yes, 
But what that means, that dates you all the way back to the recruiting class of 2018. So you're recruited by the Mike McIntyre staff. You're coming out of Houston, got a lot of offers. What were you thinking about when you received a, a, an offer from the University of Colorado? Was Colorado even on your radar at that time? Um, initially, no, it really wasn't. I, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go. I wasn't leaning towards anywhere. You know, I was just grateful for the fact that I was starting to, you know, receive these offers and, you know, talk to these coaches. But I think I... <laughs> I don't even think it was a week, maybe the first few days that I met Coach Hagan. He was just like, man, look, before you make any decision about any college, before you make any decision about visits, I just want you to take the time out of your schedule and just come to Colorado. We'll show you around, you know, whatever the case may be. But you can take one before you take an official visit and just come check it out. That's all I ask. And so I was like, cool. Me and Coach Hagan had a genuine relationship, you know, just from a you know, a person basis, you know, it wasn't just like a player to coach relationship. It kind of felt like, you know, in a way, it kind of felt like we were family, you know, just because he called and talked to me about, you know, just small things. Um, I think maybe about a month or two months later, um, I got the chance to come out here unofficially. And when I got here and saw the campus and got to meet the other coaches, Coach Ells, uh, I remember a few other coaches. But just meeting the other coach staff, I was like, man, this is this is crazy. This is this is it, you know. And after the visit, you know, I talked to my family. I finished my summer workouts at my high school. So before going into the season, I decided that I wanted to commit. And I ended up committing here. And that was the rest was pretty much history. I mean, I, uh, I had a good amount of offers, you know, and I had other coaches and stuff that I was talking to. But I feel like I had the best relationship, especially with Coach Hagan. Um, more than really any other school that I would talk to, and just because of the consistency and how much we talked. So that was a big thing, a big pulling factor for me, just the atmosphere, the environment. I had never been in anywhere like as beautiful as Boulder, you know, just looking at the mountains, the facilities, meeting the coaches was just a great experience. So I just felt like they really cared. And yeah, that that really, all of those elements in a whole just kind of, drew me towards Colorado. Great. Well, just so Buff fans know what sort of uh, talented athletes you were, they were looking at, you had offers from all over the country, Boston College, Minnesota, Indiana, Iowa State, Notre Dame, Northwestern, so obviously you're a good student, UCLA and Utah from the Pac-12 and TCU from in-state. What were pitches that you were getting from other schools that didn't make the code i mean how i mean other than relationship what uh other schools obviously were having more success on the field you right. know and that certainly be a draw and, and things like that but didn't you have a that sort of relationship with other running backs coaches or other assistant or head coaches that you got to talk to what uh what made darren hagan stand out above you know a dozen other pack 12 or you know power five type schools um i feel like the biggest thing for me was you know, whenever you have these interaction with these coaches and you, you do this, like, on a consistent basis, you, you kind of get to a point to where you kind of see through all of the the nonsense, you know, the, the fakeness, you know, the things that they want to just tell you. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it got to a point to where, you know, yeah, I talked to Deshaun Foster, the UCLA running back coach. Um, 
I talked to the coaches from Notre Dame and all these other schools. But the big thing for me was just like, I could come here, you know, Colorado isn't somewhere that's just like, they were, they have no history at all. They have no type of uh, championship program, but in the last recent years, they've been struggling. You know, they've been on the uphill. Uh, I was coming in in what, 2018. So 2016, I had just saw 2018 as I was getting recruited. So that was another boosting factor. But the big thing for me was I, I felt that I, I could come here and make a name for myself, you know? And unlike other schools, I didn't want to go and be kind of hidden behind the name of the university or the current success that they're having right now. You know what I mean? And I feel like I had the chance to build and add to the Colorado legacy, but also build a legacy of my own. Great. Okay. Well, if the recruiting sites are right, you did take at least one other official visit uh, out to Utah. Was that just because you got injured during your senior season and had the opportunity to do that? Or was there something about Utah that you wanted to double check before you uh, signed on the dotted line for, for Colorado? Yeah. Well, basically I had just got, I, I got injured during the season. Um, they were still bugging me to come out. I had already known that I was coming to Colorado, you know, but my family just wanted me to take the visit for the experience, you know, just to see what they had to offer. Um, I went, I mean, it was cool, but it was nothing to where it was just like, yeah, I love this over Colorado. It was like, uh, it's okay, you know. I didn't really feel like I needed to take another visit, but I did it just to say I did it, you know, because I think we had like, how many visits do we have? I think three five. or you can five, have five. Okay, yeah, five. So, and I hadn't taken any other official visits. So I guess my family just wanted me to get some type of experience, but sure. I personally didn't feel like I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what was, you had a knee injury, you're, you know, you were doing well to start your senior season, but then you, uh, you hurt your knee. What was the, what was that injury? And did that carry over into 2018? Is that why you redshirted or was it just kind of the plan for you to redshirt your freshman year from the get-go? Um, um, so basically 2017, I tore my ACL on my left knee and it didn't really linger over. I felt I was, 100% healthy coming in, but just okay. when I got here in 2018, I think we had just got Trayvon. Uh, we had Kyle Evans and a few other guys. Alex Fano had just got there a year ago. And so it was just a few other guys ahead of me. And I just, I don't, I, I felt like I had the conversation with Coach Hagan and my mom. And I just felt like the best thing for me was just be, I could spend a year in the weight room, getting myself, you know, bigger and faster and stronger, understand the game, you know, and, then I'd be able to take the field, you know, full speed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was uh, pretty much, you know, I, I felt like redshirting would be a good thing for me. And I feel like in the long run, it would be beneficial. So that's why I feel like we took, made that approach. I didn't really have any like health issues that like lingered over from high school or anything, okay. but yeah. And then now your redshirt freshman year was 2019. Still the same position coach. This is, you talk about being a unicorn, being a fifth-year junior, the guy that has the same position coach for five years, you're the only guy on the team that, that can yeah. say that, uh, yeah. other than Alex Fontenot maybe, but uh, you kept Darren Hagan, but you got a, a new head coach and you did get to see the field in 2019 as a redshirt freshman, mostly on you know special teams. You did have some carries and yards. What was it like to actually get on the field and play in a Power 5 game? Uh, it was, man, it was it was just like the dreams, you know, just like everything you see on TV. 
uh, running out into the stadium. We're actually just warming up in the stadium beforehand, seeing it fill up pregame, and then you come out with your full uniform on with the team, and it's just the energy is unreal, you know. It was it was crazy, you know. It, it changed my perspective, you know. And if anything, I feel like it gave me more confidence, you know, because I knew that I could, I was capable of having success within practice, you know, and against players that played in the game, but I wasn't getting that game experience, you know. So it was different from doing things in practice and doing it in Boulder, Colorado, on the practice field than doing it in Arizona State, you know, with the lights on and you're on ESPN, you know what I mean? Uh So getting that playing time and getting that little experience that I did get, you know, it helped me build my confidence. And it also propelled me, you know, moving forward. Uh, I had uh, the, I had my knee injury in 2020. Uh, So following up after that season, that was 20, yeah, so 2019, I I had a few touches in the Utah game. Um, Seven carries for 41 yards against Oregon. Yeah, and yeah, that was the first game that I really got to play for a decent amount of time, you know. Yeah. And um, I think another, it was another – oh, my first game actually really getting in was Arizona State. Okay. So things are looking up. You, you go through your redshirt freshman year, you're getting some touches, get in the game, mm-hmm. get the feel for what it's like. Then COVID hits and you get the double whammy that you got injured again. Was that at home? Were you in Boulder at the time or you were back in Texas? So I was COVID year. So when COVID year started, we were here until like maybe February, March, I would say. And then they sent us all home for the maybe like 34 months. We came back June, July-ish. We started working out. They told us that we weren't going to have a season anymore. So we started to gear down and just focus on like off-season training. And then out of nowhere, they were like, oh, we're having a season. It's going to be shorter. Uh, yeah, we have practice tomorrow. So, uh, okay, boom, we go to practice the first day. I'm going to have a great practice. Uh, I think it was like a maybe 13, 14 period practice. I went through 13 periods of straight, you know, good confidence. I was making plays, you know, doing the things that I normally do. Now, out of nowhere, you know, I just kind of felt my knee buckle on me a little bit. And MRI came back and they, told me that I tore my ACL. So wow. it was something that kind of took me by storm. I was surprised because it was completely different than the first experience, you know, because in high school, it was something to where it was like, I noticed it, you know, and even when I woke up the next day, I couldn't really walk on it. It was completely swollen. But see, this one, it was weird because my knee didn't really feel that bad. It just felt a little strange, you know, or unstable. And once we got the MRI and I found out, you know, it was definitely devastating to me, you know, just hearing that you have to go through that again because that rehab is strenuous, you know, that's seven to nine months of just straight dedication and, you know, just straight perseverance, you know. So I feel like that was hard just receiving the news. But once I knew what was ahead, you know, and the task that I had at hand, you know, I knew that it was I was capable of overcoming it just because I had done it before. Wow. But still got to be hard on the system that you lost some of your senior year in high school, sat out, you know, a redshirt year, got a little bit of play, just gotten started. And then you have to sit out another season. It was an abbreviated season. So now we move into last year, 2021. You're finally healthy, finally. But oh, by the way, you know, you're on your third coaching staff. Did get a lot of, you know, some time on the field. 
you know, 53 carries, 192 yards, got your first touchdowns. Tell us about uh, you, the Northern Colorado touchdown or the USC touchdown. What? Uh, tell us about those two scores. I, I, yeah, remember. I can tell you about uh, both of them. The, so the Northern Colorado game was got to come in the game, you know, later towards the tail end of the game. And then my first carry was uh, like 21 yards on the first carry of the game. And that sent my conference to the roof because I was like, okay, yeah, you know. I got another carry for about three or four yards. And then I think on my third final carry of that drive, I ended up pushing it to the end zone. And it just felt, felt like all my hard work had paid off, you know, finally, you know. And it was just like, you know, I, I hadn't felt what it, what it really truly felt like to touch the end zone in that real actual game, you know. And I don't know how long. So it was an unreal experience. But even it was even more unreal whenever I had it in the USC game. So the USC game was more of like, uh, I think, I can't remember who was in. I think Alex was in. And uh, we had like a personnel change. So we make substitutions. And my coach Hagen was just like, go. And he told me to go in the game. I ran in. They called the play. <laughs> and I, I knew it. I saw it. And then I think it was outside zone. It was supposed to be like a power. So I had Jay Lee leading at fullback. And... Boom, I get the ball. I get maybe two or three steps away from the line of scrimmage, and I saw it was just tons of people. It was overly crowded. There's no way I was going to be able to just pile through that. So I felt like my best chances were to try to beat them to the pylon. So I sprinted. Like, my life depended on it, and <laughs> it was just – I heard the stadium just go crazy. It was unreal experience. So it was super fun, yeah. electrifying. It, it just – you know, something that you can't really – exchange you know it's nothing you can really get back it's nothing it's just as valuable at that moment you know what i mean mm -hmm. so all worthwhile i mean you know a lot of work a lot of stress a lot of injury rehab mm -hmm. finally get the appreciation from the crowd that you get from scoring a touchdown in a in Folsom yeah. field so now we get to the off season of 2021 well obviously the 21 season you know the offense struggled 129th in total offense, you know, the line struggled. What was the morale of the team heading into the offseason, kind of thinking what can we do different, uh, or what was the consensus? You had to change offensive line coaches in the middle of the season. Ended up four out of the five offensive coaches left. The only coach that stuck around or the only coach still on the staff, of course, is Darian Hagan. What was it like for you personally with the the turnover in the staff and and frankly the turnover in the in the running Players back? Players as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, it was just like, I mean, we knew. I kind of knew, you know, just going through this process, you know, and having struggling to have success like that all season. I kind of knew there were going to be changes made. You know, I didn't know it was going to be to that extreme. You know what I'm saying? And I was only hoping and praying that they didn't try to take Darrell, you know, because I, I, I'm i sick of, quite frankly, I'm sick of losing coaches, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. if I'm being honest. You don't you want know, to have four coaches uh, in your career at CU. Not, another thing you could stand out for is being somebody around for four different coaches. So, yeah, I understand right. what you're saying. So, um, you know, and, and it was definitely, it was kind of, I felt like it was definitely sad, you know, just to see my fellow teammates, you know, former teammates, just decided that they felt like they needed to part ways, you know, nothing against the university or anything, but just for them having aspirations and the goals that they want to achieve, they felt like it was best for them. 
you know what I'm saying, to find a different home. And I totally, you know, I support them no matter what, just because they were my teammates and they were brothers, you know, that I, relationships that I built here in my time here at CU. But um, I feel like for me, you know, kind of feel like, you know, this is maybe my opportunity, you know, and despite, you know, all the negative things that's going on and all the changes going on around, you know, I never know what this coaching staff is going to bring. So the biggest thing for me was I wanted to get to know them. I wanted to spend time here because ultimately I decided to come here to this university. You know what I mean? And I still have goals and dreams that I want to accomplish as a player. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, I'm still a buff. So I feel like the biggest thing for me was just that trying to overlook all the outside noise because during that time it was a lot of outside noise you know and focusing on the things that really matter which was my teammates and the people that we had near and I know that I still have my running back coach coach Hagan and I know that I would rather keep my relationship with him than to try to form a relationship somewhere elsewhere or even put my future in the hands of someone else right. so it was a tough adjustment and the morale was kind of low, you know, towards the end of the season. But I feel like meeting the new coaching staff and just the energy to Coach Sanford and our new tight end coach and even Coach McGagan, you know, everyone bringing it into the table, it kind of changed everyone's perspective. And during this offseason, you know, I kind of noticed that we have everyone on the team that wants to be there. And it's not anyone that has any doubts or anyone that's like, uh, do I want to be above? Am I really here? You know, my body in, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. now it's like we have a good knit, tight knit set of coaches that are out of this world, just intelligent. They're so smart, you know, and they, they know the game so well, you know what I mean? And we have this group of coaches and we have this group of teammates and players that are just so close to one another. You know, I just felt like in this offseason, we bonded together closely. And then even going into spring practices, you know, just getting to see all the things that we've learned and we've been in a classroom learning and, and just taking a little piece out of Coach Sanford's brain, you know, and actually applying it on the field. You know, we start to realize that it's pretty fun to play to play football when you're scoring points, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's been definitely rewarding, you know what I'm saying? But it was, it was for sure tough at, at the start. Well, you know, talking about that, you know, Mike Stanford comes in and probably didn't know much about him beforehand. What would, you know, it sounds like you've had pretty positive meetings or pretty positive impressions. And and we're not going to talk about specific schemes or plays or anything like that, but just mm-hmm. in terms of the overall offensive perspective or offensive direction, you feel that, that going through spring practices, going through 15 practices, that uh, the offense is going to, be more cohesive or, you know, more productive, certainly. But, uh, you know, what what makes you optimistic about Mike Sanford's offense compared to, you know, what you had to deal with last year? Uh, yeah, that, that's a, I feel like that's a great question. But one of the things that makes me more optimistic is just I feel like to put this in, a more, in, in the blandest way possible. Okay. We don't have a set. There isn't just like a set play or a set call, we see what the defense is doing. Based on what they're doing, then we'll have a play from Coach Sanford. Um, The quarterback has more freedom to see something, digest it, and say, 
uh, this, we don't we don't like how this looks. Let's change it up and let's run this. You know, we want to run the ball. We're not going to run the ball into a six, seven man box. You know, if we don't have numbers, you know what right. I mean? Sure. So it's just like all of the things that trying to be careful how I say this, but all of the things that, you know, we were doing it before, you know, running into seven man boxes and eight man boxes and doing things that were pretty predictable or just, I feel like they're pretty non-existent just because whatever we run is based on what the defense presents us. Sometimes we don't even have a play. We just want to see what the defense does. And then we'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll run this. Okay. <laughs> or you want to be in man coverage or cover four. Okay, cool. We can run this, you know? Right. Um, and I feel like it's helping me learn the game more just because from a running back's perspective, I can see, oh, we have two high safeties, you know, cover two, you know, versus before. I'm not really thinking about that. I'm like, okay, we have four down line, three down linemen, you know what I mean? I'm running in this area over here, you know? So I feel like I'm learning the game on from a student perspective and also on a professional level, you know? So that's one thing that I really enjoy about Coach Sanford's offense just because I feel like, the flexibility is the quarterbacks have, you know, and we're always going to give whatever is presented to us, you know, and it's never just nothing that we're just trying to force out there. Okay. Well, and, you know, from the interviews that the coaches have given, they seem like they've been become a pretty cohesive bunch in a pretty short period of time. And I've heard then probably about a dozen other interviews at this point with, you know, a lot of your teammates and get the same sort of message that the players that are here, the ones that want to be here, and that, you know, you've got a pretty tight-knit group, like you said. It just seems like, you know, there's some optimism there that, again, you're not going to get from the outside at this point. Um, I'm assuming that the spring showcase, despite your 20-yard run for a touchdown, that it was still pretty vanilla. Even Carl Durrell said that it was going to be yeah. uh, Super vanilla. Bland, not yeah. very exciting. Montana's option pass notwithstanding, there wasn't a lot of uh, – excitement in terms of the offensive play calling again not to put you on the spot but a pretty fair statement that uh the calls during the spring showcase were uh not super, super exciting super, super bland yeah the, <laughs> if it was up to it's like i would have we would have definitely had way more explosive plays on offense uh if we would have ran you know majority of our stuff but i don't even think this was day one install this was like before day one install <laughs> you know <it> was, <laughs> Super bland. You could count on maybe one hand how many plays we ran that day. Um, we just kind of presented them to make them look a little different, but it was pretty much a very short, short list of plays we had. Okay. Well, that makes the defense look better. So you're you're helping them out a little bit to make you run <laughs> the same plays over and over again. But you did have the 20-yard run for a touchdown. That must have uh, felt yeah, pretty felt good. That, that was my first time scoring a touchdown in the spring game since I've been here, actually. So I did in the scrimmages when the last spring that I had. So I scored in the first two scrimmages, but actually in the spring game, that was actually Ted of Oz throwing Folsom Field. I didn't score. So it was my first time actually scoring in the spring game, and it actually felt it was, it was amazing. Uh, my my teammates kind of hyped me up, made me feel so, so great, you know. So, <laughs> but I knew it, it was going to be a vanilla day going into it, you know. So I didn't really expect to just do a whole lot, you know. So just leaving with that little 20 yard touchdown felt great for me. You know? Yeah. Well, one interview that you gave talked about how, you know, this is kind of your chance to shine that between the injuries and the, you know, the COVID and the changing of coaches and stuff like that. And the people that were playing in front of you that uh, we haven't really seen Deion Smith yet. 
I'm just going to read this quote and then um, you can tell me what uh, how to interpret it. This is in the from the daily like daily camera interview that you gave. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to show the world because honestly, I feel like in my time here, I have yet to really show everyone what I have. My coaches know, Coach Hagen knows, my fellow teammates and running backs know, but from the outside looking in, nobody really knows Dion Smith. So what are we going to see from Dion Smith in 2022 that we haven't had a chance to see yet? Um, I just, I feel like you, you've only been able to see uh, Dion do things in spurts and moments, you know, make plays, you know, some key plays in the Oregon game, you know, in both years, some plays in the Utah game, a uh, couple runs in the Oregon State game, you know, just little spurts from here and there, but no one has been able to see Deion Smith really just change the game, leave an impact on the game, you know, and just show everyone that I'll do whatever it takes, you know, to get my team that victory, you know, whatever it takes. I I just feel like I've yet to display a full four quarters of what Deion Smith can do. So the world doesn't really know that. My my teammates know because they see me in practice every day, you know, and they they let me know. They give me the the reassurance, you know, and they give me the confidence and let me know little things that I need to do better. So they see me on a day-to-day basis and they've actually seen my growth as a player. But on the outside looking in, nobody really knows, you know, if if you're on the outside, you know, you're probably thinking like, man, uh, Jerry Broussard left, Ashad Clayton left, even before Jerry Mangum left. All these other people left, what's, who's here? Well, uh, I'm still here, you know, and, it, <laughs> and I could I could definitely take it offensive, you know, if someone was like, who's still there, you know, but I'm not, you know, I'm just going to use it to actually just show everyone who I actually am, you know. Okay. Well, um, your coach, your position coach, Darian Hagen, said that you were an excellent runner, great eyes, great balance. But also seemed to hint that you uh, pass protection was the thing he wanted you to work on. Is that uh, been a focus for you this this spring and what you're going to be doing oh, yeah. in the fall? Yeah, so definitely. Um, So even in my exit meeting with Coach Hagan, we didn't really go into depth about it, but he was telling me that he challenged me in this preseason to work on, I mean, this offseason to work on uh, my being physical in the run game and actually my pass protection. And he felt like that everything he asked of me, I showed him that I can improve because my pass protection, I feel like I've just – kind of focused in on the fundamentals, you know, and the small things, you know, to where I could win on these bigger defenders, you know, and learn these little things to where they help me out in pass protection. So the biggest little thing for me was just focusing on the small things and it paid dividends, you know, because I felt like I had a good spring, a good, I was pretty solid, I was solid in pass protection all spring. I don't, I didn't have any lapses in protection. I wasn't just getting beat by linebackers. Even though our linebackers came to us, it said Robert and Quinn, they came up to us and was like, I don't know if our moves aren't good anymore or if you guys got better, but <laughs> as a whole, you guys are just way better pass protectors, you know, so. That's that's good. You can't get better input than the guys that are trying to get around you, so. Exactly. That's you know. good to hear. So, backing on the big picture a little bit, uh, we talked a little bit before uh, we started recording that uh, you've done a podcast or a project involving name, image, and likeness, and you've interviewed some players, teammates, and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of people would be interested, and I'll certainly put a link to your your project or your podcast on the See You at the Game website, but 
Can you give uh, the people listening just a, a little overview of what you were trying to accomplish and then what you found out about what CU athletes feel about name, image, and likeness? Oh, yes, sir, definitely. So, you know, we wanted to focus on this podcast, you know, and talk about all things in IL. And we wanted to give the people on the outside who aren't just involved in our daily life or doesn't really know the life of a student athlete on a day-to-day basis, you know, what the NIL process and those things look like. And whenever we talk to these athletes and we have these interviews, we wanted to basically give the perspective that NIL isn't something that's just like, oh, all these athletes are getting free money or just getting these checks and free gear and free food and all the other things. It's like, we have school, we have practice, and we also have to allocate time to build our brand on top of that. And we have to rest, take care of our body, and all the other things that we have to do in the meantime. So it's like, yeah, you know, we could get these extra coins, if you want to say, but it takes a little bit more work, you know, than a lot of people think, you know. And even talking to, sitting down and talking to Evan Batty, because Evan was one of the people that we interviewed for the podcast, uh, we got an interesting perspective from him, which was basically, you know, someone that has this high um, social stature, you know, and right. one thing we learned about NIL was that, you know, most of the people that were getting these bigger deals, you know, were, had more followers, you know, they had more attention to their name, you know, people know, knew them more. And Jada, uh, or some of the other people that we interviewed, Jada, Montana, um, and Maurice, you know, we're just talking about how they didn't have a whole lot of NIL deals going on just because their following wasn't big. And so talking to Evan, you know, who has a big following in almost the entire state of Colorado knows who Evan Batty That's is. The mayor um, of Boulder. Yeah. It, it was surprising to just to find out, you know, that he wasn't really interested in NIL and get the perspective and from him that he would rather put time in the gym and, you know, focusing on his craft than, you know, trying to sit and build relationships with these companies and post, you know, whenever he could do that outside of college, you know, so. That was uh, something that we learned in the podcast, and it was it was pretty fun, you know, making it come together and even having these interviews. So, yeah, yes. yeah, and certainly, if, if probably if you know all the athletes, even on the football team, you know, if there's anybody that been marketable, Evan Batty probably be the most marketable CU student athlete at this point. Where you know, you talked about being well known, and you know, just being a very personable guy, very popular guy. Everybody, you know, has nice things to say about him. He's just a super nice individual on top of being a good athlete. But do you think that the University of Colorado as a whole or the the football team, whether it's perception or reality, is being hurt by the fact that CU doesn't have a collective, that CU doesn't have offensive linemen like Texas that are getting paid $50,000 to breathe or – Every semester, I have I have one of my neighbors to go to UT. He's the left tackle, and yeah, so I know how that's affecting him directly. But I, to answer your question, I feel like they are starting to pay more attention and understand that you know we need these things just because we have so many athletes that are now speaking out and talking. Because even me, I was up there talking to Lauren and Lance Carl and Rick George, just telling them like, hey, like all these other schools, like. We're not all these other schools have their alumni that come back and they give back to the football team or give back to the basketball team or give back to these certain sports, you know. And even then, they have 
they have these groups and these collectives that come together and they're like, hey, we want to do something. We want to contribute something together, you know, to take care of. We want the offensive linemen taken care of, you know, because we feel like our offensive linemen need a little help, you know what I'm saying, and give them a motivation, you know, whatever the case may be. We should have something to where it's like these linemen and these people are getting taken care of and the deal should be kind of, we shouldn't have to put as much time into it just because we put so much time into the university practice meetings right. and all that stuff, you know? So at these other schools, I know I have friends, they go to other schools that'll live their normal life and look at their phone and they make money just from talking to someone, going to take pictures, you know, little things like that to just right. pop up out of nowhere. And so the biggest thing for us was like, could you guys do more work? And I feel like they're starting to hear just because like, even little small things like this, you know, we're sitting down. I have an opportunity to sit down and talk to you. You know what I'm saying? Right. And little things on the influencer app to where it's like I can reach out to these companies and they can reach out to me. So it's coming a long way just because when it started last year, it was nowhere near this, you know? So yeah. it's like it's trending upwards. Yeah. Um, but as athletes here, we, we all do feel the same. But I feel like we do feel that it's getting better just because I feel like things are starting to actually come along well a couple things on that i mean you weren't seeing it because you know the interview that rick george gave during the spring showcase the pac-12 network coverage he kind of hinted that a collective might actually be something that's in the in the works but he's never been a fan of it and he was part of the nil legislation committee that was trying to get something through congress so that it wouldn't just be the wild wild west and it didn't work out nothing got passed and you know, the whole idea of maybe something coming out of that that fans, boosters could contribute to as a, you know, pool of dollars. They don't have to do it, try and do stuff individually like oh, like yeah. like what I'm doing. But do you think that, I mean, or just from your conversation, you don't have to name names or anything like it, but just in general, or CU had one of the largest, largest number of players entering the transfer portal in this offseason was that a significant was I mean if it was not having a, a winning direction worried about the future or is it you know I can go get more money somewhere else what where did things rank in terms of the players that did leave what were the conversations that they were having you know what was their priority was it because they wanted to play for a winning team or was it because they wanted to try and get paid um I feel like um, a, a major consensus was, just the fact of winning. There was a couple of people that just have been here at the university for so long. Uh, and, you know, just seeing that many coaches, it's kind of hard to stick through, you know, three different coaching staffs and right. you aren't having success in any of these years, you know. So, it was, you know, I feel like a lot of things or uh, the major consensus that I got back was just that, you know, people just wanted to win, you know, and I feel like they could do something elsewhere with, maybe a more stable coaching staff, you know, and we don't know how long this coaching staff is going to remain. And, right. you know, just those type of things. Uh, I feel like the money did also play a perspective, play uh, into perspective just because of the fact that we, a lot of us have athletes and have friends and former teammates that go to other schools, you know, so we kind of know what it's like, you know, and like I said, like right. a lot of these schools are doing the work for them, you know, bringing these collectives and these groups together, you know, to bring and help get money in their pockets and even do things like that. But 
like here, you know, we weren't really getting that. And it was just like the people that had the NIL deals were the guys that had the outstanding number of followers, you know. And if you weren't putting that time into social media, then you weren't really getting that back. So I feel like it was a co- combination of, you know, multiple things and things like that, you know. But, like, the biggest thing was just, like, the consistency with the coaching staff and just wanting to win football games because it's not fun to lose, you know. Right. Okay, well, let's finish off and tell us uh, what can we expect from Deion Smith in 2022? A lot more touchdowns, a lot more carries, a lot more yards. What What's your personal goal? What would be a, uh, a winning season, not on the scoreboard necessarily, but, uh, you know, obviously you want to win games, win the Pac-12. But what, uh, what's our, some of your personal goals? What are we expecting from you in uh, the fall of 2022? Honestly, I I, I want to be just a standout player in the pack. I want to be someone that anytime you turn your TV on, I'm going to catch your attention, you know. And I want to do that throughout all 12 games of our season, you know. And I don't want it to be a one-game thing, you know. I want it to be something to where it's like fans know, okay, we know we got Deion Smith coming back next week, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Or even other teams know we got to go against, we got to go through Dion, we got to go through Brendan Lewis, Montana, you know, we got a full force of guys that we have to go through. So personal goals for me is just, you know, being consistent and just being able to make those plays that I, that I make on a routinely basis, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. doing it in the, in the, in the times that count. So uh, you can expect a lot more touchdowns, a lot more energy and a lot more speed for sure. Cause I, oh, I definitely want to show you guys that I can roll a little bit. Excellent. So, yeah. So we could have a, a number twenty on defense and Robert Barnes at number twenty on offense. So between the two of you, sure. uh, you're going to dominate the Pac-12 and make number twenty a a number to remember. The number to remember on the buffs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you for yes, your sir. time and and stay healthy and we'll look for you this fall. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This episode and this series of interviews would not have been possible without your kind contributions to the See You at the Game NIL campaign. So thanks to all of you for supporting your CU student-athletes. The interviews are going well, and I look forward to meeting and interviewing more CU student-athletes in the coming days. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. As you hopefully know by now, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the NIL podcast interviews can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. And so, until next time, be well, stay safe. And go buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.